the local church is the hope of the world. No, as a matter of fact, God no longer dwells here. I don't believe that joy is a possibility, that our lives are better lived in community, and they're called to love each other radically. The truth is, the church is on the brink of extinction. I refuse to believe that we're part of some story larger than our own and that we've been changed to bring change. Don't be fooled. Poverty is too overwhelming. Racism can't be overcome and evil will never be defeated. It's impossible for me to believe that things will get better in the future. It will be evident that God can't help. And you're wrong if you believe God can. I'm convinced that things can't turn around. I'd be lying if I said God cares. And you know I believe the complete opposite of that. I believe God cares. I'd be lying if I said that things can't turn around. I'm convinced God can. And you're wrong if you believe God can't help. In the future, it will be evident that things will get better. It's impossible for me to believe that evil will never be defeated, that racism can't be overcome, and that poverty is too overwhelming. You Don't be a fool. We've been changed to bring change, and we're part of a story larger than our own. I refuse to believe that the church is on the brink of extinction. The truth is that we're called to love each other radically. Lives are better lived in community, and joy is a possibility. I don't believe that God no longer dwells here. No, as a matter of fact, I believe that the local church is the hope of the world. Yeah. God, we give thanks to you so much for your goodness and faithfulness. Jesus, thank you. You're the one who's building something in our generation. We get to be part of this great thing called the local church. You birthed it, we're part of it, and its best days are ahead. I'm asking just now as we turn to the Bible, as we study together, that each person from the youngest to the oldest, from the newest person here to the most regular attender, would be impacted by God. God speak, I pray. Thank you for this one church across the city, but one church nevertheless. Move among us. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, good to be with you folks. So cool to be united. I, I see you all all the time anyway. It's just that we're all over the city. So today we're here. Hope you all got parking space. Let's not talk about that. Uh, it's, 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 we've got rubbish buildings as far as parking is concerned, you know. But why figures, you know, thousands of people turn up just around the corner here for the football games. So they find a way to get here. So hey, we found a way to get here. Well done you for giving yourself a round of applause for making it today. So what we're, what we're going to do is this. I'm going to use this moment as an opportunity just to update, share vision, talk about what God is doing and what God wants to do. Um, we have we've a, a vision that we've been pursuing for the last few years. We call it 2020 vision. And 2020 vision is four, two, one. Help me. It's four new locations, two refurbished buildings, and one orphanage. So let me just go in reverse order. Here's how it's been going. So um, this is actually photographs from just this last week from the orphanage building under construction in Odisha, India. So we just sent in the last couple of weeks, we sent, uh, we, up until the last couple of weeks, we sent 36,000 pounds across. That's from your giving. You've sent that across. So as you'll remember, our, our vision to see all these things happen was to raise a million pounds to make all this happen. And what was given was about 700,000. So the tithe of that has gone to India. So 36,000 has gone. Another, roughly the same again, will be going again. 
It's under construction. It will, be, it will accommodate up to 75 orphans, and it will be opened in April. So how cool is that? So watch this space. You folks have given to make that happen. In fact, you're, you're conti- I'm giving as well. We're continually giving to make that happen. That's going to impact precious young lives. Maybe some of you will visit. Uh, so one orphanage, two refurbished buildings. Next year, refurbishments start in our Gorgie building and in our Leith building. So, which is very exciting, really cool. And the, re- the reason we're refurbing is, you'll remember there's a whole lot of priorities of things we needed to do. Uh, here, the toilets in Gorgie, listen, if you need the loo, just hold it in. Don't go to the toilets, they're awful, right? So toilets need refurb. We're going to do a whole thing to the cafe with screens here. They're through in Leith, we're going to do up the cafe there. Um, and we're doing up the staff offices and that sort of thing. All that is getting done next year. We've been actively pursuing opportunities to improve kids and youth facilities. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't raise the million, so we raised 700,000, which limits what we can do, but we've been pushing doors and looking. So, we've, we, for example, we've offered to buy the supporters club next door here. They said no. So we asked them again, and they said no. And we asked them again, and they said no. But we'll keep asking. <laughs> uh, Bernardo's, which is available, it's actually a huge space. That was a charity shop next door. We've talked to the owners who are ScotMid, and we said, will you sell it to us? They said no. So we asked them again, and they said no. You see how this is going. They're, off, they're offering to lease it to us, but it costs us astronomical, so we're probably not going that option. But we're, there's another option we're looking at as well. So we're looking at a bigger facility here. In Leith, we partnered with a Christian, Christian businessman in the city to offer on the old Leith doctor surgery. Unfortunately, they said no. But <laughs> you can see the pattern. But I have to tell you, ultimately, there's going to be two big yeses. God will provide, and uh, we're going to have amazing kids in youth spaces. So in other words, keep praying. And hey, we've launched, we're now one church, four locations. That's awesome. By the time, God willing, by the time we're finished, we'll be one church in six locations by 2020, but we won't be finished then. So we'll launch 2030 vision round about then. So watch this space. But there's, so there's two more locations to be launched, but I want to just give you some of the highlights. Just, and, and there's no way we could cover everything that God has done. No way whatsoever. So many stories. But let me just introduce you to some of my friends who are going to tell you about what God has been doing in their lives through this 2020 vision across our location. So let's hear it from our friends who are going to come and share. Come form a line along here, guys and girls. These are guys and girls from across spectrum, across all of our locations. And uh, they represent just the tip of the iceberg of what God has been doing in 2020 Vision. And each one's got a unique story, so I've just asked them to summarize it for us. But uh, just be blessed as you hear these. Go for it, Karis. Hello. Good morning, church family. My name is Karis, and I come to the Gorgie location, and I'm currently doing Destiny College in Leith. Since being in the Gorgie location, my life has been impacted firstly by the student group Authentic, led by Dan, where many of my friendships were made, and secondly, by being involved in serving different teams, which means I get to be part of the church's visions. And last but not least, it was in this location that I met my husband, who's over there. (laughs) And also later, this is the place we got married. Good morning, church. Uh, My name is Fraser, and I go to the south location. Thank you. 
Um, South has changed the way that uh, we see church as a family. Um, We've been part of Destiny for many years, and there'll be lots of you who know us out there. Um, When we moved to South, we felt the call to step up a gear. Um, I moved um, into the the PA team, and I now lead it. Um, Kirsty, my wife, who's serving in the, the kids' church today, um, she stepped up a gear and is now leading the, uh, the kids' primary. Church has become center of our Sundays for our family um, and as we move forward into the gifts of God has given to us. Hi, church. Hope you're having a good morning today. Yeah. My name is Gordon and I go to the Leaf location. Yep, give up. Last year I attended Destiny Church in Leaf after being invited by a church member who was doing her shopping at Tesco where I work. I noticed something different in this girl. She was so smiley and happy. You can stand up if you want, Warner, wherever you are. Come on. Come on. I think everyone wants to know because, come on. There you go. So, yeah. When I inquired as to why she was so happy, she said, I've been to church. I said I could do with some of that. I went on to attend last year's Alpha course. I eventually made a decision to follow Jesus last month. Yeah. Amen. I was baptized in Leaf, and I'm now part of the team making this year's Alpha course happen in Leaf. I can't believe it's taken me over 30 years to find God, but it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. The church, and in particular my small group, are like a family to me, so thank you very much. Uh, Good morning, church. My name is William. I go to the South Location. Uh, Two years past, um, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer, which was classed as stage four terminal. And uh, I was due to get married to my lovely wife, Leslie, in the September of that year. Uh, in June uh, this year, I had an MRI scan which showed that the, the cancer, the lesion in my bones, are no longer visible. And the, the lymph nodes have shrunk. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. <laughs> I just want to give a big thank you to all the leaders who prayed for me and my brothers and sisters who prayed. And I just give all the praise and glory to the Lord. And he's a healer today. Thank you. That's fantastic. Um, Well, hi, church. Uh, My name is Pete, uh, and I help lead the North location. Um, Now, I know, I know, it's, it's a great location. Um, I consider myself a mature, lo- uh, a mature Christian uh, and a leader, uh, but I do not consider myself an evangelist. In over 25 years of following Jesus, I've personally led just one person to faith. Now, I was happy with my track record until I started to lead a location and began to understand what it's really like to take personal responsibility uh, for souls. 
about six months ago, God spoke to me about the need for me to lead from the front and get out of the church building and into the neighborhoods around the north location to learn how to speak to people about faith. I committed to going out just one hour a week in Pilton and Granton with no experience and no idea what I was doing. And in what is probably only about 20 hours of work and about 100 conversations, we have seen now two brand new salvations, a lifelong agnostic visiting, I don't know if you're here this morning, and loving church. She now comes every week and invites her friends and family from the area. We've ministered to the sick and lonely on the doorstep and in their homes, taken communion with the housebound and isolated Christians, reconnected many de Christians to explore their faith again and had some visit church again. And above all, I've been blown away by the interest and openness to deep spiritual conversations. And if I'm honest in retrospect, for the last 25 years, I've been passive and comfortable in my efforts to win souls. And I realize if this is what a normal, mature Christian leader can achieve, then evangelism is not just to be left to the evangelists. If I can see God do this with no experience and no clue what I'm doing, then there is hope for our locations and there is hope for our city. And I'm convinced if we can all catch the significance of this, we can see hundreds of salvations on the streets each year and thousands reconnected with faith and church. I'm reading this out on behalf of one of the precious ladies in the north. She writes, I started going along to Coffee Stop in the north location around August 2016. I heard about the Alpha evenings that the church were hosting and started attending those every week. From there, I attended small group and Freedom in Christ and got baptized in Easter 2017. I attended according to the pattern, became a member, and I've been a regular attendee in North, coming full circle and now being able to give back serving as a Coffee Stop team member. Similar to Jude, I'm reading on behalf of one of the precious ladies in South, and she writes, I have been attending Destiny South since they launched at the end of August. Destiny have welcomed myself and my three daughters like family. My two teen children have been going along to Youth in Gorgie on Friday nights. They've really connected with the ministry Mark has set up, and they feel like it's their club. They, real, they realized it was a space where even their unchurched friends can have fun and feel comfortable in. Having been here for just a couple of weeks, they invited their friends along to youth, one of whom subsequently gave their life to Christ. It's a delight to hear them come back. It's a delight to hear them come back from youth so excited every week. We are on a journey, and we're looking forward to stepping into all that God has planned for us. Not quite the same as everybody else. I'm actually reading this on behalf of my wife. Um, hi, my name is Sarah, and I come to the Gorgie location. Changes, even miracles, have happened since I started coming here. They have been gradual, no fireworks. They have been gentle, loving, and powerful. Out went endless news, bad food, old music, and moaning. In went the word, praise music, speaking in tongues, and prayer. No more migraines, IBS, diabetes, or bad days, and a wheelchair. I can see to drive at night. I dropped many old attitudes and two and a half stone, whilst eating more calories. <laughs> True, but I didn't say that. My dying father was prayed for, 
brought to Christ and three months later walked into his 80th birthday party. Jesus, Jesus is my active teacher now. Whilst I make mistakes, I know the Holy Spirit is my guide and there are more miracles to come. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's hear it for these folks. Thank you so much. Love that. Love that. Love that. Even if it's just one of those stories, everything would be worth it, right? Just one story like that. But you know what? That's the tip of the iceberg. So many lives have been transformed as you courageous folk are stepping out and we're working with the Lord and God is doing great things. Best is yet to come. We've just got started. Two more locations to launch before now in 2020. So be praying. Some of you will be part of that. So everything's changed, but nothing's changed. Everything's changed. We've kind of spread out wide. We've gone across the city, but nothing's changed. Same vision, same conviction, same sense of exactly what God has called us to do. Let me unpack that with you, what Jesus is saying to us and to his church. I'm going to take you to a famous part. It says in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus talks about his church. In fact, it's the first time he mentions the word church. Let me take you there, and we're going to work our way through the verses. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples. Okay, we'll stop there. He took them to a specific place, a place called Caesarea Philippi. Jesus was a master communicator. And so he used everything to illustrate the points that he was led to bring. So sometimes he would tell parables, sometimes he would do a miracle and teach from that miracle. Sometimes he would take the questions or the debates of the people and then use that as the launch pad for his message. But in this occasion, he brings his disciples to a specific place deliberately because that place somehow or another was a parallel to the points he was going to make. He took them to a place called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is at at the foot of Mount Hermon, Israel's tallest mountain. Mount Hermon is an amazing mountain. It's got eternal snows all year round. Mount Hermon is 2,814 meters above sea level, nearly three kilometers above sea level. And it is also the source of the River Jordan. The Jordan River flows from 2,800 meters above sea level all the way down to 416 meters below sea level to the Dead Sea. It's, as a river, it's got the greatest elevation of any river on planet Earth. Incredible. And uh, so we, we were there earlier in the year. There's a group of us went to Israel. Whoop. Any guys here? Some of us are here. Shalom. Okay, so we, we were in Israel early in, earlier in the year. And uh, so he, here's me uh, with, with my disciples. Here they are. A, a, a group of young Palestinian lads. We were, we were cool together. And this is at Caesarea Philippi. This was right at Caesarea Philippi, the source of the River Jordan. And you can see the River Jordan there. It's absolutely crystal clear. In fact, further downstream, below the Lake Galilee, it's quite murky. That's where Jesus was baptized. That's where John the Baptist did his baptizing. But upstream, it's beautiful and clear. You could drink this water. And the water literally springs out of a rock face at the foot of Mount Hermon from the snowmelt. And in, in the ancient times, it, the, the cave you see in the background there, that huge cave, was the, the beginning of the River Jordan. It's literally sprung out from that cave. But as there was an earthquake way back, round about just after the time of Jesus, there was an earthquake, 
which shook the lands and it caused the rocks to change so the water now comes out from the rocks underneath the cave. But that is the source of the River Jordan, incredible. So Jesus takes his disciples to this space, this exact spot, the source of the River Jordan, a river that flows and literally is the, it is the irrigation channel for the whole of the land of Israel. That river is the source of life for the whole land of Israel. Jesus takes them to the source of that river and talks to them about church. Right here also was a place where dark, dark practices took place. That cave was, was often used for idol worship. There were, and right around the cave, you see uh, cutouts where they had idols put into the rock faces. And it was it, literally, there were several temples built there. A temple to Zeus, a, tam- a temple to Pan, a temple to Augustus, and a temple, temple to Baal. Horrible worship practices went on. Human sacrifices went on. It was a dark, dark place as well. So you can imagine for the Jews, the place was a, was a taboo subject. You didn't go there if you were a good Jew. And the disciples were Jews. And the, Jesus was taking the disciples to this place where so much idol worship had taken place and so much detestable practices had taken place. The, these disciples were very much out of their comfort zone, but he brought them there because he wanted to reveal his identity and his mission in a place that was so uncomfortable for them. The reason he took them there is he wanted them to know that there's something about his vision, his church, that's going to flow, touch the whole world. And there's something about the church that Jesus instigates the church in the midst of the mess of society. And there is no place too dark for God to reach. Just as the Jordan reaches into the dark Dead Sea, the lowest point on planet Earth, so too the church is to touch the lowest of the low to the highest of the high. It's an amazing picture. And he goes on and he starts interacting with his disciples. Verse 13, he says, who do people say that I, the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Wow. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's the question of all questions. Who do you say that I am? It is the question of all questions. You get the answer right, you go to heaven. You get the answer wrong, you're lost eternally. Who do men say that I am? It's an important question. You've got to answer that. And among the dead gods, among the false gods, Peter says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Verse 17, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. In other words, Peter, you didn't get this because you figured it all out. You didn't get this academically in your heads. You got this by revelation in your heart. And you know, you know, folks, you know what it's like to get something in your heart, not just to get it in your head. You know what that's like, right? How many people have known something in their knower? I don't even know if there's a place called your knower, but you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. So anyone had, had something, you just know something in your knower? Anyone had that? Yeah, me too. And you know that it, it goes from being a head knowledge to being a, I know that, I know that. And that's what happened with Peter. He said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. Peter had got a revelation, 
And revelation is not information, but revelation is what changes your life. Totally changes your life. In fact, if you go back and look at the big decisions you've made in life, the big decisions that you're proud of were not made by this. The big decisions you're proud of were made by this. You were led to make a courageous decision. And as you follow conviction and revelation, lives are transformed and your life is transformed. So he had this revelation from Jesus. We had a, a guy called Feridun speak in our church a number of years ago. Feridun uh, leads the Iranian church in Glasgow. And his story was that he was a devout Muslim and he was not interested in Jesus, not interested in Christianity. And he was a devout Muslim. He was studying at university. And while he was at university, in the middle of his exams, as he was studying for his exams, as he was in his, in his room on campus, studying for his exams, Suddenly, in the middle of the day, he wasn't sleeping, in the middle of the day, he has a vision. Jesus appeared to him alive in his bedroom. Totally freaked him out. Totally freaked him out. Freaked him out. He saw Jesus. I mean, blew him away. Didn't see it coming at all. Didn't know what to do with this. Jesus appeared, and he knew it was Jesus. He went and found some Christians. They, they, they showed him the Bible. He started discovering about Jesus. Came to become a believer. And because he became a believer and, and moved away from Islam, was rejected by his family. It's a very dangerous thing for people to take that step, to step away from Islam into Christianity. Very dangerous. But he took that step and now he leads the Iranian church. Amazing. He got a revelation of who Jesus was. And I don't care if you get the revelation by Jesus appearing to you, ta-da, in your bedroom, or whether you just get it because you just know. When I was 15, I just knew I know he's the son of God. And my life was transformed by knowing who Jesus was. Your life's not changed by knowing facts and figures about God. Your life's transformed when you know God. When he, he becomes real to you, he transforms you from the inside out. And maybe today, I don't know you all, maybe some of you today haven't yet connected with God in that deep way where he's literally changed your life from the inside. My prayer today for you is that today you would know God's that you wouldn't just know him up here, but you'd know him in here. He would change your life. Verse 18, he says, And I tell you, you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. He's saying, he was telling us exactly what he was planning to do after he had ascended back to the Father. We know Jesus went on, he died on that cross. On the third day, he resurrected, conquered death. And then after spending a period of time with the disciples, he ascended back to the Father. But I have to tell you, Jesus isn't in heaven today twiddling his thumbs waiting for him to return. He's not doing nothing. His sleeves are rolled up. He's building something on earth. He's doing exactly what he said he would do. He said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Jesus is building something on planet earth today that's so magnificent, it's destined to change the world. He's building this thing called the local church. Now, you could, either, you, could either, you could do your thing or you could get involved with what he's doing. He's doing something great. What are you doing? He's building the church. What are you doing? Let's do what he's doing. Many people say, okay, God, would you bless what I'm doing? I've got a better idea. Why don't you just do what he's blessing? Get involved in this great thing that he's building on earth. It is his big project. He's not doing lots of things. He's doing one thing. He's building the local church. I think he's doing a pretty good job of it. The word church, first time this word church is ever used in history. Jesus Christ introduces this word church to us. And it's, this, it's an interesting word. It's a word, a Greek word, ekklesia. Say ekklesia. ekklesia. Yeah, you're all Greek scholars. 
And it comes from two words, ek and kaleo. Ek is out, and kaleo is like our word call, to call. Ek, out, call. Kaleo. The the whole meaning of it is this, that God has assembled a, a group of people who are called out. A called out assembly of people. He's called people out from different places, called them out and assembled them. This is the people he's describing. This is the local church. God is calling people out. And some of you know exactly what that's like. Some of you remember the first time you came to church. It felt like, if you had to put it into words, felt like I was coming home. Or, man, I just, I just knew I needed to come to that place. Some of you, can, hands of you can relate to that. You just felt, man, it just felt like I was coming home. That's because you're called out once. God has, God has gathered this. This isn't clever marketing that's gathered a crowd of people. God has brought a bunch of people together. God has put a seal of approval on the church. He's bringing people together. It's, it's an assembly. It's a called out group of people. I remember when we started this church 20 years ago, uh, we started under authority and we continued under that authority. That's very important for me. And we were commissioned to plant this church by several apostles and prophets. And I remember that moment. It was a conference. We were prayed for. Hands were laid on and prophecies were brought. This is one of the prophecies that was brought over me when we started the church. This is, I love this. The prophecy goes like this. Don't worry, says the Lord, about building a church. I said I would build the church. Don't think I've got to produce a church. Forget it, says the Lord. I said I would build my church. Don't you worry about that. This is what I want you to do. Reach the lost. Love the unlovable. Show compassion to those who have never felt it. Share the good things I've done with you. Gather them. That's all you have to do. Share and gather. Gather and share. Don't worry about building the church. Building the church is not my job. Building the church is Jesus' job. And he is doing a remarkable work of it. I love the local church. It's the greatest thing on planet earth. Sometimes people, in fact, I remember having a conversation with someone a couple of years ago, and they didn't know what I did. I'd become good friends with them. And then they said, Peter, what is it you actually do? And so so I kind of played with them a bit. I said, I work for the largest organization on planet earth. It has over 30 million employees. We have hundreds of millions of voluntary staff. Literally, we have the biggest volunteer workforce on planet earth. We have a branch in every town and city on planet earth. And we are growing at a rate of 100,000 new members a day and 4,500 new branches a week. The guy's blown away. So was, was it Apple or <laughs> Google? Who is this? Imagine his face when he says, I'm part of the church of Jesus Christ. Wow. <laughs> the church. The greatest thing in Edinburgh is not the parliament. The most significant thing in Edinburgh is not the parliament. The most significant and greatest thing in Edinburgh are not the financial institutions. The greatest thing in Edinburgh is not the academic institutions. And the greatest things in Edinburgh is not the arts festivals, although it attracts people from all over the world. They are not the greatest and most significant thing. The greatest thing in Edinburgh are the local churches of which we are part. God is doing a great thing. He's building this thing called the local church. It's amazing. And you know, it's the only thing that can bring unity on earth. The only thing. I love how we are, and just look around you in this room, there's different age groups, social classes, backgrounds. I just love that that we're all different. We're this international mix of people. It's like heaven on earth. I love it. Unity, yet diversity. 
I love it. It says in Galatians chapter 3, 28, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for all are one in Christ. As a Christian, you can't say first that I'm Irish. You can't say that I'm first, I'm African, or first, I'm a Kiwi, or first, I'm from Poland. You can't say that that's your first identity. If you're a Christian, you're first, you're in Christ. Your ultimate family is God's family. Your ultimate citizenship is in heaven. That's what, that's what the reality, and we're, we're this amazing snapshot of heaven on earth. We are united. Say, we are united. And we're the only organization that will span this earth and the world to come. True. The only organization that will exist both in this life and in eternity. No other organization will last that long. Not one. Only the church of Jesus Christ. What's the nature of the church? You know, when, when we're introduced to something in the Bible, the, the Bible has this law, the law of first mention. And the law goes as follows. That the first time a word is mentioned in the Bible or a concept is introduced to us, at that moment of introduction, it's often surrounded by the, all that you need to understand about that concept. So here we're introduced to this concept of the church. And therefore, if you want to understand the nature of the church, we're introduced to that right at the earliest moment of our introduction point. So what is the nature of church? Let's look at the verse again, verse 18. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Let's go back to that picture again. Remember I talked about how the River Jordan came out of this cave. You know what they used to call that cave in Jesus' time? They used to call the cave the gates of Hades. It was a place where the pagans and the idol worshippers believed it was the gateway to the underworld. That's what they believed. And uh, Jesus used that picture, that analogy, to talk about the reality that there actually is, not that place, but there is such a place or there is such a realm as the gates of Hades. There is such a thing being as the devil. There are powers of darkness at work on this earth. And Jesus is saying, in the context of that, that the only organization of which this can be said, the only organization, is that the church is the only thing on earth of which it can be said that the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. The power of darkness have no sway on the church. Satan has no dominion over it. And in fact, the opposite, we're to take ground back from the enemy. What are gates? Well, gates are like their defensive positions to a city. The gates are probably the most important defensive point to any city. And so when Jesus is saying the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, it sounds like he's talking about a defensive statement. But actually, it's an offensive statement. It's a ground-taking, not a ground-keeping, it's a ground-taking statement. You know, I grew up in Glasgow, and I, I was attacked at various points, okay? I, I even had, you know, people pull things at me and pull knives out at me, but, but I never once, never once, you know, people pull out baseball bats and sticks, right, in, that's Glasgow. That's, Lord, I'll plant in Edinburgh, okay? But never once in my time in Glasgow, never once, never once did anyone pull out a pair of gates, right? They didn't do that. They don't attack you with gates. Like some people read this verse really weirdly, like, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against me. Watch those gates. No, that's, that's not the picture. That would be a really weird picture. That's not the picture. 
The picture is not a defensive picture, it's an offensive picture. So you've never been attacked by a gate, but how many people ever have had a gate that was hard to open? Anyone had that? Ah, now we're looking, now we're getting it. That's what the picture's about. You've had gates that are hard to open. You have territories that are hard to take. And what Jesus is saying is this, that the church of Jesus Christ, it's not on the defense, it's on the offensive. We're taking ground and there is no territory that we can't take. There's no ground we cannot establish. There's no, there's no place we can't go. Jesus has authorized the church. You are authorized. Takes back territories. And you know, it's growing all over the world. Here's some facts and figures from operationworld.org. Fastest growing evangelical Christian populations. I've, I've, I've skipped some, but here's some of them, right? Iran. That great Christian country, Iran. 19.6% annual growth of the evangelical Christian population. Afghanistan. Brilliant Christian place. 16.7% annual growth. Cambodia. 8.8% growth of the evangelical believer. North Korea where you're, it is one of the most persecuting states in the world where you're a Christian, you're persecuted. It's one of the worst places you can be a Christian. And yet they're experiencing 6% annual growth in the evangelical population. Isn't that amazing? I love that. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I watched a video recently called the Transformations video. Maybe some of you have seen that. And it talked about places where the church was growing and the impact on society. It talked about Helmet, California, a, town, a city, a small, small city in California. And as a result of church growth, it described how the drug trade decreased by 75% because of the rapid growth of the local church and crime rates dropped. Love that. Cali, Colombia. In this video, it talked about how the, because the church was growing rapidly, literally, the drug cartels, which had held the area in fear for years, drug cartels disbanded. And it no longer is the world's largest exporter of cocaine because of the impact of the local church. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And Jesus uses this place, this place called Caesarea Philippi, the source of the River Jordan, where the Jordan flows from the highest point in Israel to the lowest of the low to the lowest point on planet earth, the Dead Sea. And it's a picture how the church's influence, there is no no-go areas. We're going to flow to the lowest of the low, and God's going to use us to make an impact. 2016, there was a survey of churches in Scotland, produced by Peter Briley. And he reveals that for the last 20 years, every month, there have been an average of uh, 10 average-sized churches in Scotland closing every month for the last 20 years. Man, so while the church is doing great all over the world, we've got these challenges on our doorstep. Ten average-sized churches every month stopping, and it's been the case for the last 20 years. There was, two, there was a sales rep who worked for a shoe company, and he was sent to a very remote area in Africa, right in the, in the, in the, in the no, not in a city, in a very, very rural area, and he arrived there working for Adidas, and all the kids were running around barefoot. And he said, this is crazy. What am I doing here? So he got on his phone and said to his company, fly me home. No one wears shoes here. A month later, another guy working for Adidas arrives in the exact same spot. He sees all the kids running around without shoes and he thinks, whoa. He gets his phone and says, send more shoes. No one wears shoes here. (laughs) 
So you can see it as a problem if you want, but I see we actually have the greatest opportunity we've ever had to reintroduce our population to the greatest news ever. The, great, the good news has never been greater. God's power has never been stronger, and God's mission is on track. Jesus is building his church. He won't fail, and he'll do it right here in Scotland. I believe it. The church is unstoppable in this life, but it's also unstoppable in eternity. You know, the reality is the church members conquer death. If you're a follower of Jesus, that means you're a member of the church. You've conquered death. Did you know that? I love that. See, Peter, when he, he, he made that declaration, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He had a revelation. And do you know what happens when you believe that? You're saved. Death is it. It's no longer a problem for you. You are saved eternally. We're bringing a message that can see people saved eternally. We, we don't only make a difference in this life, we make it a difference in eternity. You conquer death because the one you believe in conquered death in his death and resurrection. We become the, those who have conquered death. The gates of Hades will not prevail against you. The realm of the dead, the underworld, is no longer your destiny. Say, praise God. You're going up, not down. And that's the reality. That's, and hence, there's nothing more important than for the church to spread. See, life come with his death. Light shine with his darkness in a city and in a world that's turned away from God's. And you know, how does the church grow? It grows as people awaken to the reality of God. Just like Peter was able to say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It was revealed to him. The church grows as that revelation spreads. Duncan Campbell, he saw a revival take place in the Hebrides, way up in the north of Scotland, in 1949. And in 1949, over a two to three year period, Duncan Campbell and the churches there saw hundreds and hundreds, thousands of people coming to faith. And it was an awakening. And this is what he said about that awakening. He called it a revival. He said this, revival is neither more nor less than the impact of the personality of Jesus Christ upon a church or a community. The whole area becomes God conscious. And that's what God wants to do. So Jesus uses this analogy in Caesarea Philippi where the Jordan started and the Jordan was used to irrigate the entire lands and he wanted them to know that the church's destiny is to bring blessing to lands, to bring hope where there's been despair, to bring healing where there's been brokenness and to bring forgiveness where there's been unforgiveness, bring life where there's death. That's the destiny of the church. So I love it. So church, we're here to spread this message, the message of the good news that people can be set free eternally, know God's, and be saved, be part of his movement. That's, what, that's the message we're carrying. So church, I want you to be praying like never before and telling, telling, telling. I love Pete's story of how he's courageously going out sharing his faith. Be that person. Be bold with your faith. Tell people the good news. You're literally giving people a lifeline. That's amazing. Be like that. You know, currently we have 100 people attending Alpha. Some of you are in this room. 100 people across our locations attending Alpha. I love that. Carols by Candlelight leaflets will be available next week. You'll all get a bundle of 10 to 12. You all know 10 to 12 people. Invite them along. Bring them kicking and screaming. Bring them to church. It's going to be amazing. Carols by Candlelight will be so strong. All our locations will have a carol service. Bring our friends. Let's introduce our city to Jesus. Let's populate heaven and depopulate hell. That's what we're here to do. So the gates of Hades represent a defensive guard to a city. But also, you know, the gates of Hades also represents authority. Don't cry. <laughs> Don't cry. 
case of Hades also represents authority. In the ancient world, it was the elders who would sit at the gates of a city. And the elders of the city would sit at the gates of the city to make decisions for the city and for the nation and to make, decide how things were going to go. That's what the elders of the city did. So the gates of the city represents the authorities of darkness. And Jesus is saying that the church is going to advance and take that ground too. Verse 19. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In other words, God has given you, church, the authority to change things. That's what he's saying. Let me read you the Amplified Translation. This is a, a literal translation of the Greek. Listen to it. Whatever you binds, forbids, declare improper and unlawful on the earth will have already have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose and permit and declare lawful on earth will have already have been loosed in heaven. The point is this. There are certain things that leaven, the heaven has decided are unlawful. Heaven has decided that sickness and despair and darkness would be unlawful. Heaven is decided, ruin doesn't get into heaven. Misery doesn't exist in heaven. Satanic activity does not exist in heaven. Heaven has decreed that those things don't happen in the realm of God. No way. They've already been bound in heaven. Our responsibility is to bind on earth and forbids what God has already forbidden. You have been given authority to forbid and to cancel the things that heaven has forbidden and canceled in heaven. In the realm of God, certain things are not allowed. Therefore, we say, no way in our city. No way in our families. No way in our communities. You have been given authority, church, to flow in prayer and to speak your words of life to bring transformation spiritually in a city. Bring life with his death, healing with his brokenness, and hope with his despair. That's what God has called you to do and be. Wow, you are very, very privileged people. Very privileged. And our problems in society, you know, they cannot be solved with the world's answers. Politics can't solve the problems. The economy improving can't solve the problems. You know, you know it, the legal system can't solve the problems. Why? Here's why. Because none of these things can change the heart of a human being. But God can change human hearts. And because God can change human hearts, and we've been given the message by which hearts can be transformed, it literally means that church, we become the hope of the world. We are those who have been entrusted with this message of hope and life, a spiritual message that has true, tangible impact. So church, I'm calling you to pray. Pray and use your authority. Believe for change in communities and in families and in parts of the city. Pray with me for two more locations to open up. There's doorways to be opened. There's territory to be taken. I'm praying that God will open the way for us into the city. I'm praying that God will open us the way into West Lothian, possibly Fife, possibly other areas. I'm praying that God will open the way. Pray with me. Let's use our authority in prayer. You, you know, there's a couple of weeks ago, arrived in Gorg at the beginning of the week, and there's this weird liquids at the threshold of our door. It's, we tried to clear it away, couldn't get rid of it. And uh, we, we, so our, some of our staff went on CCTV just to see where did that come from? And they discovered that about 20 past midnight on a Sunday night, these guys arrived in a Mercedes. Three of them were there, got out of the car, got the liquid, deliberately poured it along the front of our threshold, said a few things, back in the car, 
drove off. That's weird. If you're here today, welcome. Please identify yourself to us. We would like, we would like to meet you. Okay. Yeah, that's weird, right? That's weird, eh? Man. So what's that? I reckon it's witchcraft. It's weird, eh? Well, we must be doing something right. But I just want to, you know what, that doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me one bit. That's not the first time that stuff's happened. I've seen that stuff happen around my family. I've seen that kind of stuff happen. That's not uncommon. If anything, it encourages me. It encourages me because it tells me, you know, we're pointing in the right direction. It is no surprise. But, what, but here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that, that negative example, as a call to pray like you have never prayed before. Pray and call on God. Your prayers make a big impact. Don't come to church without praying. Don't go to small group without praying. Call on God every day. Let's pray like eternity is at stake. Let's pray like our city hangs in the balance. Let's pray like Jesus is actually doing something and wants to do greater than we've ever seen before. Even though the population's turned away, God wants to do a greater thing. It is your call to pray. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm going to pray. High five them. Tell them, I'm going to pray. So, okay, stop now. Stop now. How, how's he going to build this church? He said, I will build my church. How is he building it? The answer is, we are the raw materials. We are the materials that God is using. Let's go back to the verse. Let's go back in the verses 17 and 18. It says, Jesus replied. So Peter just said, oh, you're you're Jesus. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and bloods, but by my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. There was actually a play on words going on here in the Greek language. And because you're Greek scholars, you'll know that. But let me point it out to you just to make it clear. When he said, you are Peter, it was the Greek words petros, which means a little rock. And then he goes on and says, and on this rock, that's a Greek word petra. That's a very big, immovable rock. So he's saying, you are Peter, and on this rock, little rock, petros. Oh, I will build my church. And, so, and, on, and on this rock, immovable Petra rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Behind Jesus was Mount Hermon, biggest mountain in Israel. What is the church built on? Who is the big rock this church is built on? His name is Jesus. Jesus. You want a big rock to build your life on? Seriously, build your life on Jesus. Don't become religious, but really connect with Jesus. Build your life on Jesus Christ. You will not be disappointed. You will eternally not be disappointed. How does a church get built real strong? Our foundation is not Peter. Our foundation is not good leadership. Our foundation is not clever thinking, good marketing, good cool website. None none of that. We'll do all that. But the bottom line is our foundation is Jesus Christ. We honor you, Jesus. You're our foundation. We build on you completely. Build your church. Jesus builds his church on this rock. When you have a revelation of Jesus, you become a little rock. You know that? And God can use you to build something. And that's what he was saying to Peter. You've just grasped something eternal, Peter. 
I can use you now as a building block on which I'm going to build something great for planet Earth. When you get revelation of Jesus, you become a little rock. Now, Peter didn't look much like a rock. He was very unstable, made lots of wrong decisions, had lots of regrets, did stuff he shouldn't have done. And yet, you need to understand this. Your destiny is not based on how great you are. Your destiny is based on the revelation of God that you have. Fact, you might be a bit of a mess. You might have some rough edges. You might have made some mistakes. But the bottom line is this. The revelation of Jesus in your heart determines your destiny more than your behavior does. Your understanding of who Jesus is becomes the things that defines your future. Little rocks with a big revelation change the world. Daniel chapter eleven thirty two says this. You can read it with me. One, two, three. The people who know their gods shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Let's say it again. The people who know their gods shall be strong and carry out great exploits. God doesn't use me because I'm a great guy. God used me because I have seen something of God. God doesn't use us because we're great people. God uses us because we've seen something of him. It's our revelation of Jesus that makes us the people that God can use to build something great. And Peter knew this. Peter, in his own book, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, said this, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. He describes you as living stones. He didn't say living bricks. You know, you also, like living bricks. You know, if you're building a house with bricks, bricks are all the same. They're identical to each other. If you're building a house with bricks, the brick can go anywhere because they're all the same anyway. But when he's building, he says, you are living stones. What does that mean? It means you're unique. It means that he'll shape you to fit. It means that you have a specific part to play in what he's building. God is shaping you. God is preparing you for something unique and God is a specific part for you to play. Sir Christopher Wren, who designed St. Paul's Cathedral in London, while it was being constructed, was walking around the site. He did this in disguise. And as he walked around site in disguise, he wanted to find about how the builders were finding the experience. So he asked one of the builders, what are you doing? And the guy was building a wall at the time. He said, oh, I'm building a wall. And he kept building the wall. And then he, a little bit further on, he spoke to another guy who was also building a wall, and he said to this other guy, what are you doing? And the guy said, and he straightened himself up and said, I am helping Sir Christopher Wren build the finest cathedral in Europe. They were both doing exactly the same thing, but one of them had grasped there is a bigger picture. So here's the reality. You have a unique part to play in this thing called Destiny Church Edinburgh. We're part of a vision that's going somewhere. God is with us. There are signs and wonders endorsing it. God is moving among us. The best days are ahead. You have a unique part to play. As you play your part, the church grows. The reality is this. You might be doing some things that are sometimes not very exciting, but you're doing it and you, you can straighten up and say, I am working with Jesus to see the greatest thing this city has ever seen established. That's what you're part of. You're not part of something small. You're part of an eternal purpose. 2020 vision means all hands on deck. Every one of you is a part to play. And I encourage you, if you're not involved, get involved. Get involved with the kids in the youth ministry. Get involved with marriage ministry. God is calling some of you to be involved in marriage ministry. Get involved, launch a small group. 
Get involved with tech and administration. Get involved using your administrative gifts. Use your heart for the poor. Work with the homeless. Some of you are called to work with people who are struggling with addiction. We need people to be involved in music ministry, sound production, singers, musicians. Even if you're not as good as you want to be, let us work with you. Let us develop your skill and ability. I mean, you've, you've seen Stevie, right? So Ed, there's a, there's a, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. There's a part for everyone. Hey, Stevie? There's a part for everyone. Jesus said to the disciples, who do men say that I am? And this is what Jesus says to you today. Who do you say that I am? How big is your vision of God? God wants to do a great thing through us. He does great things through us when we have a big vision of Jesus. So let me just end by, I'm going to read the bit Jesus says, and then I want you to answer how Peter answers. So Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, if you said that with all your heart, you've crossed from death to life. Let's say it again. Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, Son of the living God. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you so much that you're the only one who came into this world for the sole purpose of dying on that cross and rising again to save people like us. God, I want to thank you for this gathering today of people who are unique and loved by God. Thank you for the plans and purposes you have for each one of us. Thank you that collectively you have a destiny for us. You've put us in this city to take grounds and to see your name famous. I believe the best days are ahead. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for every story, every unique example of your working in our midst. But God, we believe with all our hearts the best days are ahead. And I pray, God, for your mighty power upon us as a people. I pray for more miracles, more dramatic healings. God, thank you for the stories of cancers going. Thank you for the stories of people walking who couldn't walk. Thank you for the stories of blind people seeing. Thank you for the miracles and that you are doing among us. We welcome you to do more, gods. Move among us, more gods. Set people free who have been bound up. And God, through us, let us shine light in this dark world. God, let us be the ones who release what heaven has already released, that permit what heaven has already permitted and forbids what heaven has forbidden. I pray that we will bring the life of God to our city and our communities. And we pray, God, we will continue to spread. We believe you for those two new locations. We believe you to plant what we couldn't plant and accomplish what we couldn't accomplish. God, thank you you're here just now. Move among us, Holy Spirit. I pray even today, you do a work in people's souls. Just open your hearts to God, just where you, just where you are. Forget everyone else around you. I want you to have a God moment just now. Forget everyone around you. Fix your eyes on him. He's here. You might want to open your hands just as an expression of an open heart. Just declare, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Just declare it before him. Thank him for that truth. Thank him for that revelation. Take a moment to pray back your response to God. For some of you, God is calling you to be involved. You've been on the edges. 
God says, your time's come. You're a living stone. I have a unique part for you. For others of you, you were involved, but you're not anymore. You were contributing, but you're no longer contributing. God is calling you today to go for it again. And maybe some of you here today don't yet know God. You know, the amazing thing is, today you can come to know God right here in this room. This is not about becoming a member of this church. You know, even if you never came back to church again, I would love the privilege of introducing you to God. Although church will do you good. But I want to introduce you to God. God is here. You can can feel his presence, but I want him not just to be a nice thought in your head. I want him to be a revelation in your heart that changes your life. And if that's you today and you're saying, Peter, I don't know God's, but today I want to come to know God's. I want God to be a reality in my life. Then I invite you to pray this prayer with me just now. I'm going to pray and I invite you to repeat this prayer after me. Just one line at a time, under your breath. This is between you and God. So that's you today. You're saying, Peter, I want God in my life. Then pray this prayer with me just now, under your breath. Pray with me. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you for your amazing love for me. Jesus, thank you that you are willing to come into this world. And you died on the cross so that I could be forgiven. I believe that. I believe you rose from the dead on the third day. And I believe you're alive right now. I invite you to come and live in my heart. I commit myself to following you now, Jesus. Be Lord of my life from this day forward. Thanks for hearing my prayer and accepting me today. Okay, just while everyone else is praying, everyone's eyes are closed, just settle your hearts for a moment longer. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer and that's the decision you've just made and that's the prayer you've just prayed, I would love the privilege, while everyone else is praying, I'd love the privilege of praying for you in order to know who I'm praying for, whether, wherever you are, whether you're in the balcony, in the cafe or in the main floor here, If you prayed that prayer and that's the decision today, you're saying, today, I'm choosing. I'm going to follow Jesus. I believe in him. I want him to be his. Then just signify to me that you prayed that prayer just by simply where you are raising your hands. Thank you. Thank you. I'll wait. Just keep your hands up nice and high so I can see them. Thank you. Thank you. There are others. You've made that choice. Just put your hand up. Just say, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. That's great. Anyone else? Thanks, mate. Okay, God, I pray for all my friends all around this room, in the balcony and in the cafe. People have just made a choice. They made a courageous choice. It's not a choice to do with this church. It's a choice primarily to do with you. They've made a choice to trust in you to be their savior. And I thank you, God, 
you've just heard them pray that prayer and you have accepted them today. Let this be the beginning of a whole new journey with God. I pray this in Jesus' name. My friends who prayed that prayer, you've just made the greatest decision of your lives. And God has heard you pray that. He's now accepted you. According to the Bible, you've crossed from death to life. That's good news. Before you go, I'm going to get one of my prayer team to come and pray with each one of you before you go. So don't rush off. We want to give you a Bible if you haven't already got one and pray with you again. So don't rush off. Well done. Welcome these people into the kingdom of God. As we go into this time of worship now, we're going to break bread. We're going to have communion. This is a moment to remember. Jesus said on the last evening before he was crucified, the Bible says he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup, the wine, the grape juice. And he said, this represents the blood of a new covenant. You are in covenant with God. So we're going to worship, we're going to stand, we're going to worship. But the stewards, right round up in the balcony, cafe, main floor, they're going to come round with bread and grape juice. Take this, thank him for the covenant, thank him for the unity we have together, and let's worship God. God bless you, church. I love you so much. Love you so much. Cheering you on. Best days are ahead.